Hello, friends. I'm JP. And I'm Drew, and you're listening to the Broken But Beautiful podcast, where we talk about why church is still worth it. JP, my friend, how are you? I'm great. Always good to see you, Drew. Always good to see you. Hey, last night I did a thing that made life seem a little more normal. I went to a Nashville Sounds baseball game. Stadium was still at 25% capacity, so not totally filled, but it just felt like a regular summer night, and it was just really good to be outside and be with people. I love it. We are getting there every day. We're getting a little closer. There's so many reasons to be encouraged. I love it. There are definitely more and more reasons to be encouraged. Uh, one thing that has encouraged me in the last week was this interview that I did with my friend, John Mark Hicks. Uh, he is a professor. He is an author. He has been a minister. But to me, more than anything, he's a friend. If you have not heard of John Mark Hicks, go check out his books, his blogs. He's done a lot of things that have really opened up eyes for people towards the redemptive work of God in the world. You know John Mark better than I do, but still, I've been so blessed by his writings and just a little bit I've gotten to know him over the last 10 or 15 years. There's an insight that comes with him. There's a gracious seriousness that comes with him. Mm -hmm. He's no stranger to suffering, uh, which he's going to talk about, but the way that he continues to find and see the redemptive work of God and the church's role in that. I was really encouraged when I listened to the interview. Yeah. Well, I hope that those people that are listening to this episode of the podcast will also be encouraged. So let's dive on into our interview with John Mark Hicks. John Mark, it's good to be with you. I appreciate you letting me come over to your house and sit here on your nice fancy couches so we can have a conversation about church and JP's book. And it's just good to be with you. <laughs> well, Drew, it's always good to have you in the home. Go ahead. Hope you enjoy the couch while you sit here. Oh, well, yeah. thank you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for those that are listening that don't know who John Mark Hicks is, he's a first and foremost, I would say, good friend of mine. But we became introduced through Lipscomb University, and he was one of my professors in undergraduate and graduate school. And uh, I think the world of him, but uh, as I've gotten away from school and further into life, John Mark has just become a really good friend. And I just want to tell you on the front end, I appreciate you and I'm grateful for you. Well, thank you. It's a joy to, to walk with you in life and to experience each other outside of the classroom is is a really healthy thing. Yeah, I think so. I think so. John Mark has been really formational in my thinking about what church can be and what it should be. And mm. I just wanted to have him share a few stories. John Mark, I understand you've just recently finished reading JP's book. And typically on this podcast, we ask people to share first, what are some ways that you've experienced the brokenness of church or brokenness surrounding church? And then in a few minutes here, we'll get into talking about the beauty of church. But I understand that you come from a line of church dwelling and church experience. Uh, why don't you tell us first a little bit about your upcoming in faith and a little bit about your faith journey? Yes, my my father was a minister and my mother was a teacher. Both of them were second generation members of Churches of Christ. And so I grew up in that kind of environment and it was a, a really healthy environment for me the the world i grew up in and church wise was very similar to the way jp describes his upbringing uh, i didn't have the tragedy in my early life that he had but the community i lived in 
was a formative community for me. It formed me in very healthy ways. So my experience of church as a person who grew up in it was uh, comforting, uh, challenging in the sense of calling me into a certain certain kind of life. Mm. And so it was, it was really a good experience. Um, I didn't experience any church fights or church splits or uh, my dad getting fired or, you know, I didn't have any of those horrendous experiences that that some people do have in the midst of a community of faith. Yeah. Lucky you. Uh, not everybody has that. Yeah, experience. that's right. Not everybody has that. So I am grateful for that ex- that that experience. And yet I recognize it's not what everybody had. Now, of course, I was a kid and I was a teenager and I was self-absorbed, you know, so I didn't know everything that was going on. <laughs> right. Self-absorbed, maybe sheltered from some of that stuff. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, my perspective was just from where I sat and what affected me. Uh, so there may have been lots of other junk going on that I didn't know about. And I'm, I'm sure there was. We're all broken people. And when broken people get together, brokenness shows up. Right. Yeah. And I think that that's part of the beauty of, of JP's book that he doesn't he doesn't try to dismiss that, but he acknowledges it, confesses it um, and is realistic about it. Yeah. The church is broken. Yeah. People in the church are broken. Yeah. And just like any other human community, uh, there are going to be problems. So eventually you left home worked your way through life and i'm sure you've also encountered stories of brokenness surrounding church um, well definitely any, so yeah any I, I mean, to mind you can't live in church very long without experiencing some brokenness yeah um and there and it comes in all kinds of forms um i i remember one of the earliest encounters uh, of that brokenness uh, i think i was a kind of a naive young preacher type and and I was working with this young man uh, who was impoverished. He had a family with two small children, and he was just struggling with life and struggling with money. And I was walking with him spiritually as well as helping him in other ways. And finally, I was able to um, introduce him to the community. Mm. And so he came, came to church one Sunday. And he was probably wearing the best clothes he had, but... I was standing there next to him when somebody came up, a prominent member in that church, mm-hmm. and basically accosted him oh, for, no. for being underdressed. Yeah. And I was just incredulous. What, what, what are you doing? You yeah. know, and it just exhibited a, a mentality that is present in, in a lot of communities of faith, more so in the past than really in the present. But it exemplified the kind of rigidity and judgmentalism and the kind of expectations we put on people yeah. who are on their way to faith. Yeah. And people who are on their way to faith, they encounter these expectations from those who are supposedly mature in faith or older in faith. Yeah. And it is so discouraging. I lost him in that moment. Oh, no. I lost him in that moment. I, I could never regain the trust. So that brokenness really affected me. It, it, it broke my naivete. I was a little more aware of that kind of thing. One of those glass-shattering moments where you're yeah. like, the world will never be the same. Right. right. Now, now that rigidity became more obvious to me. 
and that was that was pretty early on in, in my ministry and so it was that was an eye opener how do you think that rigidity finds its way into the church not every church is like that but i'm right. sure there are a bunch of people who are listening to this podcast and they go i've experienced that more yeah. than once how do you think it finds its way into a place well, like that well yeah i think there are probably several avenues one is a one is self righteousness mm-hmm. you know if, if you're going to be one of us you got to come up to this level uh but i think also there's a sense of fear a fear of of inclusion that that undermines our relationship with god we think interesting you know that boy if i if i let this person get away with that then god's going to judge me i Mm. mean i need to let them know yeah you know because i'm afraid of what god will do to me if i don't tell them yeah self-preservation yeah self-preservation so there's it's driven by fear driven by self-righteousness and, and maybe also is just a simple misunderstanding hmm. of what church is about. Yeah. You know, really at a, at a basic level. You know, another brokenness that I've seen that kind of shocked me. Uh, I grew up in, an, in where I grew up in as a teenager was an integrated church. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, had a Korean congregation in it, had a Korean minister, had an African-American minister and had my dad. Mm. He was a white guy. And they they worked well together and the congregation worked well together as far as I knew. Yeah. You know, maybe there were things I didn't know about. Right. I grew up in that integrated setting, cross-cultural setting even. And I I went to my first job in the South and we had this banquet and every everybody who was seated was white and everybody who was serving was black. Mm. And I noticed it. Yeah. I don't think anybody else necessarily noticed it. Well, I don't know that they did or didn't, but it, it shocked me. And I, and I knew I was in a different world then because I had preached in Philadelphia in an integrated church. And and mm-hmm. so I came south, and this was my very my first experience with this kind of stuff. Right. That, at least that I was aware of. And I remember being in a particular church one Sunday where there had been this discussion about whether whether the church was going to allow this black man to lead singing or not. Oh, wow. And I thought, this is a crazy conversation. Yeah. Why are we having this conversation? I mean, I'm not the minister of that church. I'm just a member. But why are we having this conversation? Right. And the day he got up to lead singing, I'm grateful the elder said, yes, we're going to do that. Yeah. But the day he got up to lead singing, three families left. Oh, no. I mean, that kind of racism that's a part of a faith community is so anti-gospel and so discouraging and such a uh, an awful witness in the life of the community or to the community itself that i've struggled with that in several different occasions um i remember another time i was visiting a church i was there doing one of those things called gospel meetings at one time you Mm -hmm. know went home with the elder and the minister and and to eat dinner that night and i was part of my reason for being there was trying to encourage them to to reach out in a more inclusive way mm-hmm. in terms of diversity and race and i remember the elder's wife said to me we were at the table and she kind of begrudgingly said yeah i see what you're saying yeah yeah we, we need to allow them in the church but they'll never sit at my table oh no they'll never be in my home yeah and i thought oh my word you know, and I confronted it right there, but that kind of insidious racism that can be a part of a church is, is part of its brokenness. I want to refer back to with your very first story. I don't want to say this is the reason that these families or this woman acted in this way, but it, it sounds like self-preservation no. again to me. Yeah. yeah, kind of maintaining your comfort. Yeah. Maintaining comfort. 
this is what I, you know, this is the culture I grew up in. This is the comfort I have. Uh, I'm comfortable around white people or I'm comfortable around people who are middle class or I, I think there are a lot of not just only racial, but cultural and economic class kinds of questions that come into play. And so what we see is the church is a broken body mm-hmm. is broken in the same way that all humanity is broken. It's broken along lines of class and sexism and racism and uh, judgmentalism and self-righteousness and comfort, their desire to comfort, desire to preserve the status quo, to conserve the status quo, you know, because that's what we think works. Right. You know, it works for us. Why didn't it work for you? Yeah. You know, kind of thing. Yeah. And what it does for the body that is supposed to be transnational, as JP puts it, trans-ethnic, the body of Christ that is supposed to reach beyond all those borders and knock down all those walls, we in fact preserve the walls in these communities of faith yeah. because of the human brokenness involved. I, I want to ask a question along the lines of how do we fix that? Oh. No, knowing, <laughs> yeah. knowing that we can't just step into a church building this week and have it all fixed and, and figured out. But I'd, I'd just be curious to hear what your thought is on where do we start? Where do we where do we start to knock down some of those acts of self preservation or dare yeah. I say maybe even ego or uh, different things that are in place and how do we begin to wow. notice those things even within ourselves? Yeah, that's a tough question. Um, I, I think there, I think there's one fundamental simple response to that, and that is we do have to get our identity straight. Hmm. Who are we? Yeah, we are the body of Christ. Yeah. It is the gospel. That is our commitment, and we're following Jesus. So that that points us in a direction contrary to all those things. One of the ways we move forward is by reorienting ourselves to the center, and that is who Jesus is, mm-hmm. and calling people to that commitment that is above all commitments, that Jesus is Lord. Yeah. And that our nationality, our ethnicity, our class, our you know, our economics, that's not our identity. Yeah. So I think that until we get that at the heart, until the kingdom of God and, and its righteousness has first priority, hmm. yeah. Then every, you know, if something else incringes, you know, on that, then impinges on that. I should say, we're not going to get there at all, right? Uh, but, but I think once we have that commitment, then we have to be intentional about inclusion. Yeah. And intentional about moving outside of our comfort zones. It's not going to be enough to say, oh, yeah, come on now. You know, you just come on over. Right. Right. That's not going to be enough. Because you still haven't addressed the some of the core right. issues in place. Yeah. yeah. Those who are excluded are, are going to see the invitation as, you know, a smokescreen. Yeah. Just a saving face kind of thing. Yeah. So instead of just being invitational we have to be intentional about actually connecting yeah and that means reaching out out of our comfort zone out of our settings visiting their settings you know being in their settings instead of expecting them to well we're going to become diverse by including you yeah (laughs) yeah how does that make you feel you know yeah uh i don't think that works very well yeah no i'm i'm going to be a gospeled person by sitting where you're sitting. Hmm. That that's gonna have to. I think that's gonna have to be the approach. 
was struck by so many things John Mark said. First thing, this idea of working with someone, having a friendship, someone that doesn't go to your church and walking along with them and what they're going through in life, being Christ to them, them being Christ to you, and then introducing them to your church. In this point, someone who was in poverty and maybe didn't have fancy clothes and then him getting accosted for what he was wearing and this experience of you bring someone into your church community and then your church community embarrasses you. And if you had asked me, has your church community ever embarrassed you? I might have I might have had to stop and think for a second. But as soon as he told that story, for some reason, all these memories flooded back. And it wasn't the church in general embarrassing me, but it was like specific people at my church when I brought a friend or somebody I'd met in the community. Or a lot of it goes back to when I was a youth minister and I was working with different teenagers and I was bringing them along and getting to know Jesus. And then somebody at church would say something or do something that would be so embarrassing. And he he has this haunting phrase. He said, I lost him in that moment. And I remember, I remember a young man I was working with that was very distant from church, but he suddenly get interested. He brought his girlfriend one Sunday. And what was talked about at church that day was talked about in a very judgmental way. And his girlfriend was completely put off. I had worked with that young man for several years trying to say, hey, the church is a gracious group of people. And then he finally brings his girlfriend and his church wasn't gracious that moment. So I once knew a guy that he he led this conversation at his church. He even said, let's have an open conversation. It wasn't like on a Sunday morning. I think it was just in a more informal church gathering. He said, what are things we do that are embarrassing to each other? And he was the minister of the congregation. And he said, I promise you that if you bring someone new to this church, I promise I will not embarrass you. And I thought, that's a really neat conversation. That's a that's a, a great thing to be aware of as not just church leaders, but church members saying that when somebody comes to this community, your first impression matters. And I think we know that whether it's connected to church or not connected yeah. to church. But I would also say that it's not just when new people try to come to be a part of the community. Mm-hmm. It's for people that are within our community already. I, I think we have a chance of embarrassing others on any given Sunday or any given time together. And I think that there are times where we, like John Mark said, we misunderstand what church is about at a basic level. It's not this place that we come and just do something week to week because it's comfortable or we've just grown used to doing it. But it's it's this thing where something is happening and we are trying to orient our identities in some way. And when we lose focus on what that gathering is about, then we have the chance of just saying something off the cuff that might either embarrass someone or uh, discourage someone or make them totally uninterested in church. I was really moved by his story about racism, and I appreciate how you guys went deep into that and said, what's going on there when someone's racist? He identified it as an identity issue. Yeah, (laughs) He said, we need to keep our identities straight. So the families that walked out when there is a a black gentleman leading singing, the woman that said, they're never going to eat at my table, how he can say, there's an identity thing. There's something about the gospel that they are not identifying with. They're not applying to their life. And I liked it because it wasn't a surface level description of racism. Like it was say, hey, what's the root issue of this this deep sin? Mm -hmm. And and I like how you even said, how can we fix this? (laughs) You know, because I do think, I don't know that you can 
ever completely fix evil this side of the return of Jesus, but there are things we can do to shed light on dark things and figure out what's going on and seek to bring the healing of Jesus to it. John Mark talked about there has to be commitment and intention connect to this formation of our identity. So it's not enough to just say, hey, we need to fix this. Okay, once we've done a few things to make the outside look different, we still have to continue to do things that make the inside look different yeah. as well. There has to be not just an invitation to say like, let's just be better. <laughs> yeah. Because it's not ever just about let's just being better, but it's about once we find ways to be better, we continue to look for ways to be better. There's always continual improvement. And that's what John Mark says. He says that when we do that, that's when we become gospeled people. And I love that phrase. What would you say to a person who might have seen some of this brokenness happen in a church and then they've said, I want nothing to do with the church as a body or the church as an organization? Yeah. Is, is there a word of hope that you could offer to them potentially? Well, first of all, I would say I, I can appreciate that, that feeling. I think I understand that feeling. When we've been wounded or hurt or disgusted or frustrated, yeah, it's easy and seemingly appropriate to say, okay, I'm done with that. Yeah. You know, I'm certainly not going to go in back into a, a space where I'm going to be hurt again. So uh, I would want to uh, express my, my sympathy for that. And somewhat my empathy, too, because of experiences I've had. At the same time, there's a beauty about the church that we can recognize as well. And this is why, this is why I like JP's book, because I think not only is he honest about the brokenness, but he also paints, uh, I think, a, a very healthy picture of the beauties that are a part of the church mm -hmm. as well. And there may be moments in our life when we're so overwhelmed with the brokenness that we need to step back, take a break, disconnect. I understand that. But I think there's also something we're going to miss. Mm. That there's something that happens in the community of faith. There's something that happens in these weekly gatherings as well as the connections that are made there and the community that's developed there that has a, a long-lasting impact and is formative for our life in a healthy way. I think it would be true just about of any community that we're going to find brokenness. Mm -hmm. And whatever we replace church with, we're, there's going to be brokenness there too. Right. But what does church give us? Or what, is, what do we experience in a community of faith that can form us in a healthy way? And that's what I would want to encourage people to think about. You know, what, what are we missing yeah. when we are not involved in that yeah we're going to encounter brokenness there it shouldn't surprise us but i think it does surprise us because churches set themselves up as self-righteous communities right you know where hey come and this is a safe place and you're not going to get hurt here right. and you know it's almost like the church has set the bar so high yeah and then when you encounter something that actually reaches the bar you're going oh that is possible yeah. I, I didn't think it was but maybe it is and maybe it's something i want to be a part of Right. And if it doesn't reach the bar and you have the expectation, you know, oh, well, this is all show and this is all, you know, right. sod. But if, but I do I, I do invite people to to come and experience, come and see yeah. the beauty. But don't expect that there's not going to be anything broken. Yeah. <laughs> this, and this this isn't a conversation about 
lowering your expectations to a point where anything that happens in church you'll be okay with oh yeah it's not about lowering expectation we can still have expectations for church but it's just coming with a shifting of expectations well it's a it's a realism yeah you know we have expectations but there's also a realism right that, that okay this is a bunch of people right and we're gonna have problems and yet at the same time this is a group of people who are committed to the lordship of christ and in broken ways but we are oriented to something greater than ourselves yeah and 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 that's where the expectation can be where we call each other into that sort of life and we call each other beyond the brokenness yeah and to the healing of the brokenness yeah what kind of stories do you have that talk about the healing of the brokenness or the beauty that we find in church we'd love to hear a couple that come to mind for you yeah, for for me, one of my primary ways of experiencing the beauty of of the church has been in the midst of loss. Hmm. I lost my first wife in 1980, mm-hmm. and the funeral just just to give you a, a, a sense here, the funeral was not only the people of the church in L.J., Georgia, where she was from. But it was the community that we had in Kentucky and in uh, Memphis and in Virginia that that community, they all came together. Yeah. You know, and it was people did things for me, loved on me in ways that that somebody changed the oil in my car. And I don't even know who still I don't even did that. You know, I mean, just little things like that. Yeah. Uh, Just acts of kindness and grace. And that's been kind of a constant experience of mine that in the midst of loss, whether it's a loss of my wife or my son or my divorce and other sorts of losses that that I've seen other people experience, there's a community that comes around you. Yeah. There's a community that's committed to you. There's a community that loves you and, and is going to help, whether it's just emotional support or whether it's doing chores for you. Um, because when, when you're grieving, you know, even even the smallest chore becomes <clears throat> a, a burden. Right. So people doing little things for you is big is a big thing. Yeah. That has been the beauty of the church for me is the kind of community I experience there. Yeah. Uh, that loves me and cares for me, surrounds me. You know, church is my home base. Or as JP put it, it's his family. Yeah. Right. And I know that's not everybody's experience, but it is, but it is my experience. But still, the fact that you know, somebody's going to be there for me. I'm not alone. Yeah. That's the big point. That's the big beauty. I'm not alone. And it's not just I'm not alone because I got coworkers on the job who are my friends. No, I'm not alone in the sense that I have people that I have a history with who share the same story I have, who have the same kind of commitment I have, and they are with me over the long haul. And and if I change my job, they're still with me. Yeah. You know, it's that kind of commitment, the, the kind of community that lasts over generations yeah the word that is coming to mind for me is covenant yeah not just this like you said something like co-workers or people just hang out peers hanging out but it's a it's a deep committed relationship right which is beautiful yeah i think jp jp's book does this beautifully by pointing out the intergenerational character yeah. of this community. It's, it's not like we just hang out in a space with peers, as you mentioned a moment ago, 
or we have our family groups or or just our families but i have i've had mentors who are 40 years older than me share life with me yeah and i I try to do the same so it's it is a deep connectedness that is formed by the story of god and that's what covenants us together is use your language so that we live uh, in ways that shape each other, help each other, be with each other. It's the kind of community, I don't know, I don't know there's another sort of community like that. In fact, JP makes that case that this is kind of a unique sort of thing to have this sort of intergenerational community where we live together, not because we're family in, the, in some kind of biological sense, but because we're family in the body of Christ. appreciate John Mark's openness about the times that he experienced tragedy and deep grief and his word about how the church was there for him and that it gave him this overall message of I'm not alone. And it reminded me of several experiences like that in my life, time of deep grief where I felt alone and it was the church that reminded me that I wasn't alone. I love the story of the oil change where he's like, to this day, I don't know who changed the oil in my vehicle. And I, I think that's so cool. I was talking with a woman the other day at our church that's fighting cancer. And I had stopped by and she was just telling me how people had brought her food. People had sent her stuff, encouraged her. And she said, JP, how do people do this without a church? And I was really moved by that. I don't think that the, the reason to stay connected with church is because eventually someone will die or you will lose someone and you need those people. But I think eventually we will all face a time in life where we will grieve the loss of something, maybe the loss of a job or maybe the loss of a friendship or maybe the loss of an expectation for the way life was going to go. Eventually we're all going to grieve the loss of something. And I think having that community is what John Mark is talking about, is having that community of people that can sympathize for you and empathize with you. It's a having that community that can last over generations and years and walk through these deep, hard parts of life with you. That's, that's why we stay connected to community like that. And it's a deep connectedness that we're, I love this phrase that he used, we're all connected by the story of God. You're talking about, I don't know that there's anything that looks like this anywhere else. I I would agree with you on that. I I have heard you speak about what happens when the church assembles. Uh, I know you've written a book on assembly. This isn't to promote your book, but I've heard you talk about what happens when the church assembles and there's a unique thing that happens there. Mm. Something that's unlike anything else. Yeah, I think we're talking theology now. Uh, well, we have been all along in one way. Yeah. But uh, particularly we're talking about worshiping in the spirit. That is, when we gather, our weekly gathering, which I love the way JP focuses on, you know, this is an open weekly gathering. Mm-hmm. And so in that sense, it's always inclusive. That is, it's always it's always at least uh, open to people, whether people are welcomed or not. That's another question. Well, hopefully they are. Yeah. But for me, the, the, the function of the assembly is not only mutual encouragement and shared life together mm-hmm. and shared faith. Which might be enough for some people. Yeah. But. Yeah. That, that's, and a lot of people, that's what they need. And, yeah. and everybody needs that. Yeah. You know? 
So that is those are healthy and good dimensions of the assembly. Mm-hmm. We don't want to negate those at all. But there is something else going on. Mm-hmm. And that is when the people of God gather, they gather not just in their own presence or just to themselves, they gather to God. Mm. They gather in the presence of God. There's an event here. Assembly becomes an event, not just an, a, a social event of mutual encouragement, but it becomes an encounter with God, mm. a communal encounter with God. Now, we yeah. can encounter God in all sorts of ways, but the assembly is a communal encounter with God. We bring our stuff, we bring our hurts and our pains, and we bring them into this community for encouragement and for shared faith and shared life. And God encounters us in that moment, speaks to us in that moment, loves on us in that moment, comforts us in that moment. In other words, in the assembly, God is doing something too. Hmm. It's not just that we are doing something, yeah. but God is doing something. And God is loving on us. And bringing us up into God's own fellowship and to enjoy the the communion of the Father, Son, and Spirit along with the communion of the community that is there. As well as in a way that transcends space and time that we join the whole body of Christ, whether it's geographically across the world or whether it's in terms of time. We, be, we enter this space where the whole of God's assembly is gathered in one place. And that's kind of a, um, I would use the word sacrament, a means of grace. This is a means by which God acts among us and brings us into relation, into communion with God. This has been really important for me, and it's part of the beauty of church for me. It's why I, I love assembly. I love going to the assembly of God's people. Mm-hmm. Not simply because of the people I see there, but because of the experience of encountering God and the the experience of enjoying a visitation with those I'm, who I'm, I have lost. Hmm. Here's here's a habit I have. This is a practice I have every every Easter. I'll go visit my son's grave and I'll spend time at his grave, remembering, lamenting doing all the what ifs and wondering you know he'd be 36 now and what would that be like and and so i i live in i live in the world of grief at at the grave because that's what the grave is to me grave is is a place to grieve but what i i do that on easter morning because the next thing i do is i go to the assembly mm-hmm. i go to an easter assembly and there i visit my son mm. I, I, I experience, it's very real to me because I really believe that I'm worshiping in the Spirit and by means of the Spirit, I am being filled with the Spirit and the Spirit is connecting me to the assembly, not only around me physically uh, or digitally, <laughs> but is connecting me to all those with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, with Peter and Paul and Mary, with mm-hmm. you know, it, it's it's connecting me with my mom and my my dad and my my uh, wife and my son, and so it's this experience of the fullness of God's fellowship, mm. and that's why going to church is important to me because it's not just me sitting in my lonesome or sitting under a tree by myself. Those are not bad things. Those are good things. Nothing wrong with those things. And we can connect with God that way. Absolutely. But 
in an assembly, we do it together and we do it in a way that we connect with all others who are part of that communion. Yeah. So it's a shared communion. And I don't want to miss that. Yeah, I'm thinking of that phrase from Scripture, this great cloud of witnesses. Yeah. All these people that have witnessed to God and you're sitting with people who are still witnessing with God and, and what you're doing there is you're there to experience God and God is there to fill you with love and draw you into something that's much bigger. Right, than yeah, yourself. exactly. And, and hopefully I come out of that experience or in the midst of that experience I'm more gracious with the people around me, mm, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. because this is a matter of this is an action of grace on God's part. You yeah. know, this is this is a gracious moment of encounter with God. And when we encounter God's grace, then that grace fills our hearts and overflows to those around us. Yeah. Uh, even those like me who can't sing. Right. You know, <laughs> and as I'm listening to them yeah. or that preaching that was a little off this Sunday or the whoever was making the noise behind me or, you know, whatever Okay, all that's just pettiness, you know. Yeah. Because the 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 larger picture and the greater picture is this connection and this encounter with God in community. Yeah. You know, there's different sorts of formations. I mean, the the individual under the tree experience with God is formative in one in one way. Yeah. But the communal gathering is formative in another way. Yeah. And unless we're going to be a lone ranger all our life, and be disconnected from everybody else. Why do we want to privatize what's most important to us? Right. Mm, that's good. So, so we need to have this kind of. I think it's important to have a communal experience of this because then it takes me out of the center. Yeah. Right. It makes God the center, and it also forces me and calls me, invites me into relationship with neighbor to love my neighbor. Sitting under a tree, I can just love God and not worry about neighbor. Yeah. But in a community, I have to learn how to love neighbor. Yeah. And being in an assembly with them becomes a formative experience of showing grace to each other, of respecting each other, and learning from each other. Yeah. yeah. Nobody ever said doing a beautiful thing would be an easy thing. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's good. Well, John Mark, I appreciate you sitting down and helping us paint that beautiful picture of, of a broken church, but how beauty can still come out of it. I, I personally am sitting here reflecting on what are the ways that I've tried to self-preserve in a mm. church setting? What are the ways that I can be drawn out of myself and into this big, beautiful thing? Um, you've given me a lot to think about, so I appreciate you taking the time to sit down with us. Well, thank you, Drew. I'm grateful for the opportunity and appreciate what you and JP are doing. All right. Thank you. I love this picture that John Mark paints of a communal encounter with God, that we come to church and have this experience as a community, and there's there's more going on there than us just being there. Mm-hmm. We're there as a community, and we as a community encounter God. God encounters us in that moment as well that when we gather, God is doing something there. I've been thinking recently about disenchantment and not disenchantment as in like disillusionment, like we just have, we've gotten caught up in some sort of illusion of what church should be, but disenchantment in the sense that we have forgotten what happens when we gather as a community. When we gather as a community, we are drawn out of ourselves. When we 
gather as a community, we are not just individuals, a collection of in- individuals. We are drawn out of the center of attention. It's not just, I'm here by myself doing this. It's, oh, we are gathered as a people. And I love how he tells the story of having that Easter tradition of going to a son's grave and, and being with a son, but then going to worship and being with his son there too. I mean, I, I've never thought of it that way. I have a very similar tradition of Easter weekend. I always go to my mother's grave, but his quote there, enjoying a visitation with those I have lost. I mean, I'm, I'm accustomed to the concept that when I come to worship with my church, I'm also communing with those around the world worshiping on that same day. But I've never connected that with those that have gone on before, that great cloud of witnesses, as you said, and the idea that Jesus says, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you know, so that sense of we're communing with all of them uh, on that day. And and I love how he, he affirms, because I think a lot of us are asking this coming out of the pandemic, if you haven't been to a church in a year, and I've heard friends of mine said, my life's gone okay. I've still had God in my life. Why go back to church? You know, church is complicated. He affirms the fact you can go for a walk. You can sit by a tree. You can encounter God. That's a beautiful thing. But it's not the same thing as what happens when you come together as church. Specifically, I can love God going for a walk at the park, but I don't have the opportunity to love my neighbor. And church, the gathered experience, reminds us that love of God is always connected to love of other people. Yeah, so there's a lot going on when we gather as a body. Like I said, it's not just this collection of individuals. It's not just this collection of people who all happen to love God, and it's just a center of meeting place, and it's just the place that's closest to your home, and it's the place that's most convenient for you to get to, or it's a place where you and your friends are are just there because that's where you've decided to go together. It's this collection of people who are committed to, as he said earlier, we're connected by the story of God. And this, we are choosing to commit to love of God and neighbor as a body. We're doing that and remembering the people that have gone before us that have also done that. We're a part of this great, beautiful picture of what God wants to do in his creation. Yeah. It's such a fun thing to think about. It's an exciting thing to think about. It's a powerful reframing. Uh, and I, I, don't know, I just really appreciate the depth of John Mark and what he brought to that. Yeah. I think if somebody were to invite me into something like that that's bigger than myself, mm-hmm. it would be incredibly enticing. Yeah. Lots of things to think about. I'm grateful for John Mark and his time to sit down with us. JP, it's always good to chat about these things with you. And so we'll get together on the next podcast. Looking forward to it. <laughs>